Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. This episode of iPad Pros is sponsored by Documents by Readl, the app where all your files live. Learn more at readl.com slash documents. I do a lot of screenshots as well. And so what I do with those is if they have personal information in them, I used to use Skitch and I would always like blur out the personal information. So, But what I do now is I'll use the Photos app with the Apple Pencil to color match the area surrounding the text. And then I just draw over, the color over whatever the personal information is. So it looks like the still standard UI, but with nothing there. It's just the same background color of whatever it is in the background. Welcome back to another episode of iPad Pros. On this episode is Jason, the host of the new podcast, Work Beyond Mac. Jason has been freelance writing for over a decade. You may have seen his work on CNET, PC World, ZDNet, IGN, CNN Underscored, and many other publications of the past, including Macworld, Wired, and Time, to name just a few. On this episode, we dive into how he gets all his work done on the iPad and talk a bit about his new iPad-focused podcast, Work Beyond Mac. Before we dive into the episode, I want to take a second to thank Documents by Riedel for sponsoring this episode. I'll be sharing more information about this fantastic app later on in this episode. Learn more at Riedel.com slash documents. Beyond downloading the Documents app, you can also support this podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and checking out the Patreon at Patreon.com slash iPad Pros. My thanks to everyone that has left a review and currently or has in the past supported the podcast on Patreon. Even a dollar a month goes a really long way in supporting this podcast. With that, here's my interview with Jason. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Jason. Can you first introduce yourself and how long you've been working on the iPad? Yeah, my name is Jason Cipriani. I'm a freelance writer who's been doing it for about the last 12 years or so. I've been all over the internet, all over the web, writing for different publications. Um, but I would say my first really aha moment in interaction with the iPad that it could go beyond being an entertainment device, which is what it primarily was for a lot of people and still is. Um, and it was for me at the beginning was, um, I get, I wrote for ehow.com, uh, for a while and they assigned me two ebooks on how to use the iPhone and how to use the Apple TV. And, uh, I was looking for a way to do it efficiently with as little distractions as possible. And I stumbled upon a Bluetooth keyboard for the iPad Air 2. And, uh, IA Writer actually was the app I started writing in and learning Markdown. And, uh, it was kind of a brilliant moment when I realized how seamless and easy it would be to write on that without having a ton of distractions and a ton going on. Yeah, that's awesome. And the Air 2, that really was the giant leap forward. We got this giant hardware leap forward that, what's this going to do? And then later that year, we got the OS update, I think it was OS 9, and that enabled this uh, multitasking for the first time. Yeah, it was it was an interesting experience. And, and you know, at first I was resistant to the multitasking because I wanted to keep it a simple interaction, right? It was, it was like, like people who like write or reading on a Kindle, right? Like they like that because they don't have to worry about 
notifications and it's yeah. just it's a, a one purpose device and for up until that point that's what the ipad had been for me it was just a one purpose device i would write on that and then i'd go back to my mac to edit photos and but eventually i i, I grew with ipad os or what's now called ipad os and it tailored my workflow more around that and you know and it's it's become a habit to constantly seek out apps and services to to make my workflow possible yeah, and I'd say the OS is still primarily designed around that one app approach, and it doesn't feel out of place if you have just one app. Right. And it, it also doesn't feel out of place, especially in the 12.9, to have a little, little skinny, narrow app next to what was an old-sized iPad app. Right, exactly. Yeah, and that's what I have now is a 12.9-inch iPad Pro, uh, Magic Keyboard, Apple Pencil 2nd Gen, of course. I have actually have the 2018 iPad Pro. I, I skipped upgrading for the 2020. There was there was a lot good there. I reviewed it uh, for ZDNet.com, and I really liked the, you know, the performance boost, and I don't really care about the LiDAR camera. I honestly don't know the last time I took a picture with an iPad, period. Sure. I just... I don't. Um, so that didn't really, you know, make a huge difference to me. And, and my 2018 was getting the job done. It still is. So yeah, it, it's a good little tablet. Yeah. For me, I used the camera before I got my iPhone 12 mini because my other iPhone was an original SE. So the iPad was my best camera for a little bit there. Oh, yeah. I'm not knocking the camera. I just have no need for it. And so it's not like an upgrade point for me. I, I just don't. Uh, yeah. It, it, front-facing yeah. camera. Now, the FaceTime camera, I'll use that, of course. Oh, it's great. For, Much better than yeah. if you're going on like a Zoom call, grab your iPad versus the Mac uh, built-in camera. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I also love it for incognito photos of my dog who is camera shy. She like knows <laughs> when your iPhone's out taking a photo, but she hasn't figured out the iPad as a camera yet. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dogs seem to have a way of knowing when they're being watched. <laughs> they do. So from my understanding is you work a lot with the iPad hooked up to an external monitor as well. Yeah, this is something I started, I would say in the last two months or so, uh, maybe a little bit longer than that. I'd always used it just like as a kind of a laptop you know, form, but I started hooking it up and testing docks and adapters for HDMI and whatever else, you know, to hook stuff up to it. I've been using it with the monitor, which in actuality has increased the way I view productivity on it. It makes, it takes it from that single app aspect in, in my approach, at least to multitasking is a lot more useful because there's a lot more real estate on the display. Now, I'm not a fan of the lack of true external display support where it still has the black bars and it's just mirroring the display of the iPad. But having a bigger version of what's on my iPad has helped me tremendously getting work done. And I feel like I can get a lot more work done in that setup. And how do you configure your iPad there so Face ID camera still kind of can see you? Yeah, that's the one hassle I'm still trying to work through. Like I've gone from just setting up my iPad to my left um, with the in the Magic Track or Magic Keyboard. So when Face ID is needed, I just look over to the left. It verifies me and I look back at the display. Display. I've put my iPad on my desk in front of me, kind of leaning on, on the stand for the display and picked it up to verify Face ID. Like, I, There's not a good solution for it right now at all. I wish that if you used it in clamshell mode, it would identify that you know it's hooked up to an external display and just go ahead and ask you for your pin code or your passcode yeah. instead of saying the camera's blocked because then you have to open it in order to get rid of that message and then sign in. Uh, I, so there's a lot of improvement 
improvement that's needed there. Absolutely. I've thought about using like a, you know, like a monitor arm kind of deal for the iPad and have it next to the display. But I don't know if I want to add more hardware like that, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's a workaround right now, but it works. Yeah. I'd love uh, for a company to make some kind of basket. You just slot your iPad in where it peeks out just the camera beyond the monitor almost. <laughs> yeah, that, w- that would be awesome. Yeah. And wouldn't you have it just in the magic keyboard, you turn the brightness all the way down. Cause I'd imagine there being some distraction with the, just seeing the display twice and the inelegance of that. So originally what I was doing was I'd, I'd have the iPad uh, underneath the display with the magic keyboard. And I found myself just staring at the iPad. So, so that's why I moved it off to the side. There was no point in having you hooked up to the monitor because I was just staring at the iPad. It didn't make a yeah. difference, you know? And so I moved it off to the side and I found that uh, it's not distracting now. I don't look at it at all. I don't really mess with the brightness on it too much. I, I may turn it down a little bit, but uh, it, it's just there. It's kind of just something off to the side that I need for Face ID and that's it. Yep. Yeah. As I'm thinking about this, I'd almost, if I was doing this, would want to order like a sleeve and cut out a little hole for the camera just to have it on a stand <laughs> yeah. and just be this little sleeve that, you know, doesn't seem to be on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I should say that I, I hook up or I connect a Bluetooth keyboard and uh, Apple's Magic Trackpad to, uh, to navigate and get around. I, I used a mouse for a bit, but, you know, and it works. It works. And I prefer a mouse on when I'm working on my Mac, but the trackpad, the gestures are just more intuitive on iPad OS than working with the mouse on it. Yeah. Even if you have a magic mouse, the trackpad, it's just such a big difference of, of just getting around the UI with that giant trackpad and feels so nice with that. And is that what kind of encouraged you to go with an external monitor finally? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It is being able to to get around it quickly and not have to click and, and swipe or try to swipe with the mouse. And it, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, honestly, I saw something, it may have been on Reddit, like the iPad pro subreddit or something like that. Someone had a monitor hooked up and a, a pretty sweet looking display. And I was like, all right, I'll give this a chance. And the first day, like I said, I stared at my iPad the whole time and it was like, man, this is, this isn't going to work. And then slowly I, I you know, learned to move it to the side and deal with face ID. And then um, I'd say for the first month I used a mouse and then finally, I was like, you know, I'm missing out on all these gestures and being able, I don't feel like I could get around as fast as I used to be able to get around when, or I can get around when it's on the magic keyboard with the trackpad. So I'm going to order the magic trackpad too, and we'll see how it goes. And since then, it's been game changing. Yeah. And you can even, I believe, use both a mouse and trackpad simultaneously if you want to jump between inputs, depending on what kind of task you're doing with your trackpad or uh, tracking. Yeah, I imagine so. I haven't tried it, but that makes total sense to me. Yeah. So how much time do you spend in this desktop mode versus laptop mode? Or do you even use the iPad as just a tablet? ever? Um, so usually in the morning I get up, have my coffee, using it in laptop mode, go through the news, get caught up on email, stuff like that. So maybe an hour or two, and then I'll spend four or five hours in desktop mode. And then towards the end of the day, I go back to uh, laptop mode, I'll move around or whatever. I do use it in tablet mode, but very seldomly, really. There's a yeah. couple specific workflows that, uh, require Apple Pencil. So and that's like editing photos, editing a podcast, 
And so when I'm doing that, it's in tablet mode. But other than that, it is on my Magic Keyboard all the time. It, it doesn't leave it. And the Magic Keyboard was an upgrade from the Smart Folio keyboard yeah. thing? Okay. It yeah. was, yeah. Which which is great, too. I still have it. I would never use it, of course, because there's no point now. But uh, that was a great keyboard as well. Yeah, the Magic Keyboard is what got me an upgrade from the second-gen iPad Pro to the fourth-gen. The, the, the accessory sold me on an iPad. It did its job. <laughs> which is an expensive accessory, if that's the case. Yes. <laughs> so uh, what's a typical workday look like for you? Or is there a typical? No, yeah, right. Yeah, freelance who knows what's going on so no i i you know i've done this like i said for for 12 years i've been writing for cnet for the last i think april 1st will be 10 years <laughs> so i i try to keep regular office hours that way not only do i know what to expect from the day but my family i'm, I'm married have three kids and also my editors throughout various publications so you know i i try to work from eight to four, eight to five, something like that, and keep regular office hours every day. But it's a lot of, it's a lot of reading news, a lot of research, a lot of communication in Slack, which I have my gripes about Slack on iPad. (laughs) Mainly is if you're, if the app isn't open, you're marked as offline, which can be very frustrating for people. Yeah. When you're trying to talk to someone, you're marked as offline the moment you navigate away from the app. So they think you're just you know, not working. <laughs> or at least that's how I feel you the just impression. Just grab an be. old iPad or iPhone, just leave Slack open on it all the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or, yeah, but did you do that and you miss notifications? Oh, it's, there it's you go. It's a hassle. Yeah. But, you yeah. Know, and I've thought about setting um, a status that, hey, I'm here just working on iPad, but I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It seems okay. like a lot of work. But so there's a lot of communication in there, a lot of email. Um, and then eventually once the assignments of the day are, are settled out or at least, you know, I figure out what I'm going to be working on. Sometimes I already know. It's just get to writing. You know, once the research is done is usually an IA writer. uh, Well, always an IA writer is where I'm writing, but usually I'll have that open and I might have Safari open in split screen, but typically as a column, not halfway. Yeah. Um, And then I'll pop in and out of Slack or Twitter as a slide over app just to keep up to date on, you know, whatever else is going on and, and have my eye on any breaking news or whatever, which Twitter's great for. Do you end up using Twitter lists to go on different subject matters that you tend to write about? I do not. And, um, I, you know, I, I've experimented with it, but here's what ends up happening for me is I end up following all the people on the list. So my timeline is just one giant Twitter list for me. Yep. <laughs> uh, so there, there's no need for it. I, I don't want to bounce around. I just want to open up and see what's going on instantly instead of having to go, well, what's going on here? What's going on there? And bounce around between lists. And uh, what's your Twitter app of choice these days? I just upgraded. Well, I've always used TweetBot since it launched. Yeah, I don't know yeah. how long ago, and you know they just rolled out the subscription model. I have no problem paying them. I, it's it's an app I use every single day. You know I'll pay them whatever it is per year they want it mm-hmm. to be. But uh, so yeah, Tweetbot is what I've been using and, and plan to keep using. It's just I use it over the Twitter app. I do have it installed because some things you have to are easier to do in the Twitter app, like searching um, stuff like that. But it, it's just an easier user experience for me. I prefer it far more than the Twitter app. No ads. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's one. like, I didn't know there were Twitter ads. Oh, there are. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So was there a publication that accepted you as a freelance writer that when you got that, you were like very excited because you just admired this outlet so much and you were like, what a privilege to finally be able to work directly for them in this capacity? There's been a lot, man. There's been yeah. a lot. So, you know, CNET was really the big break. I had ran a couple sites and worked for a couple sites before that. 
and realized that running your site, at least back when BlackBerry was popular, <laughs> I, I, I ran BerryScoop.com for okay. over over a year, covering BlackBerry news, rumors, reviews, and then saw the writing on the wall, and we started kind of covering other stuff. Did you ever own a playbook? I did, yeah. Okay. Actually, I, I worked with a buddy of mine, um, Kyle Fowler, who actually works at Foursquare now. Um, we made a Foursquare app for the playbook, um, and we called it Foreplay. <laughs> <laughs> that got us both uh, free playbooks from BlackBerry. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> that was a fun experience. That yeah. that app actually got him the job at Foursquare. He went to a, like a developer meetup thing and took a playbook and was like, look what I built. That's and awesome. That was a wild time in Tableau too. The playbook, he had HP's touchpad and it was yeah. just a very fun time to just be following tablets because there are some yeah, absolutely. cool ideas going around with, with all those. Sadly, not all of them. And none of them made it out except for the iPad, really. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So so I went from there, Barry Scoop, I realized you can't really make money at the time. So I went to, and I had a full-time job at the, at this same time. So it was, you know. In what, uh, what field? Let's see, back then it would have been, I was working in a family business. We actually worked with the railroad industry, selling them communication devices. Uh, so it was something kind of related, but at the same time, yeah. totally unrelated. Okay. Um, but I've sold phones all through high school. Um, and then had worked at Verizon for a few years as well, selling phones. So that's that's kind of my background in mobile was just geeking out over phones from the time I was like 14, selling them to people. And, you know, back when analog was was it and there was no digital signal anywhere and, you know, stuff like that. So and is that what got you in the writing, your love of technology and just wanting to spend your days writing and reviewing it and looking more in the depth in this stuff? No, it actually started off as a hobby with Barry Scoop. Um, a buddy of mine said, hey, I just bought the domain to this. Do you want to start a news site about BlackBerry? And I was like, sure, why not? We were talking on BBM one night. I was like, all right, cool. And so I, I viewed it as a hobby and something to just do once in a while, maybe get a free case here and there or something, you know? Yeah. And, or that's when you could get your own app store, your own branded app store. Uh, right. Crackberry yeah. had for a while. And so the goal was to get whatever threshold it was. I think it was 30,000 page views a month, I believe to get your own branded app store and then try to make some money. And the longer I did it, the more I enjoyed it. And finally, I was like, you know, this is something I truly want to pursue. I always enjoyed writing, but I never wanted to make a career out of it. Like, I just enjoyed it, you know? And and um, so, yeah, it eventually went from a hobby to a career. I had applied for a freelancing job at CNET. They were launching a how-to section of the site back in 2011. And I don't know how or why, but I ended up getting the, getting the gig. <laughs> and uh, I've been writing how-to articles for them, like I said, for the last 10 years now. And so that was the first one where I was like, holy cow, CNET? Are you kidding me? You know? Yeah. How hard is it to make these days as freelance writer? Because I'd imagine you have to do a lot of output and, you know, finding outlets that give you the work and all that. What's that look like these days? So I'm fortunate enough to have been doing this long enough that I have a lot of good contacts, a lot of good editors I've worked with over the years who either have moved on to publications or writers who have moved into editor roles at other publications. So right now, my main outlets are uh, CNET doing how-to articles. I write for CNET's sister site, ZDNet, which is like a business version of CNET doing mobile news, uh, tablet news, reviews, stuff like that. Uh, I write for CNN underscored, which is... 
obviously one of those where you're like, what, what's going on here? <laughs> CNN, this is, this is crazy. Yeah. And then I also do some stuff for IGN. I review gaming laptops for them and PC world. I do battery pack testing and reviews as well as wireless charger testing and reviews. So like I have a good set of clients right now that, you know, most of those have been several years in. So I don't need to go out and look for work now um, as much as just need to know what I need to be working on for them. But in the case, which happens, I mean, the list of outlets I've wrote for over the years is longer than the one I write for now. You know, budgets change, editors change. It, it, as soon as an editor changes, he may decide to get rid of the whole freelance crew, which has happened to me several times, and just start fresh because they have a different approach or a different idea that they want to take. Um, and so that's when you start reaching out to your old contacts and, and see how it goes from there. And, you know, sometimes you get lucky and find something right away. And sometimes you're waiting a few months. So it, there's ups and downs, like yeah. like anything else. But there's a lot of stress that comes along with it, too. You know, I mean, any one of them could change something tomorrow and, and I'm gone. Yeah. So what have been some of your favorite reviews and articles to write and research? It's a lot. I mean, I think I have like 2000 articles on CNET. <laughs> that's, that's a lot. Have you ever gotten access to like early hardware and stuff in this capacity or? Yeah. Yeah. I actually had, uh, I had the iPad air four, the one that was just released under embargo and yeah. whatever for, from Apple. And that was a ton of fun. That was, I mean, I'd been working towards getting in that first round of reviews with Apple for a long time. And, and, uh, it, it finally happened on an iPad and I was, I was through the roof and that was a, that's a really fun tablet to use. And, uh, a lot of, a lot of fun to write about that one as well. But if I had to pick one research wise, I'm going to stick with iPad here is the 10 year anniversary for my iPad for iPad. Um, last year was, was a lot of fun. I did a really good look back for ZDNet on where the iPad started and how far it's come and, and you know, did a deep dive into that. That was a lot of fun. Um, you mentioned the iPhone SE a little bit ago. I, I think one of my, I used to freelance for Fortune four or five years ago. I was at the last event at Apple's campus before they moved. And it was the one where they launched the iPhone SE. That was a really fun event to be at. But one of the proudest articles I have, I wrote after that event about, you know, Apple moving on and they weren't supposed to have any more events in that campus at all. And this was just like, we're going to have one more to do this. And and so that was a fun article for Fortune. Uh, it was a look back at how the SE was actually a, a, a throwback, reminiscent kind of product. I actually cornered Phil Schiller in the demo room that day and asked him what SE stood for, which he told me meant special edition. And and so it was it was a lot of fun breaking that one. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny because SE kind of, it's, it's morphing of what it means, but I guess special edition is still a good definition of what these things are. Yeah. At the time it, it fit it perfect, but I, I would agree with you. It's, it's morphed into a lot more than that now. Yeah. I, it like, kind of means to me, we're going to release this thing, sell it for three or four years, and then release another one. Just yeah. like if you buy it early, you're getting a really good deal on this hardware that'll be overpowered for its price and all that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So how does the iPad itself play a role in your research and planning phase for these articles and pieces? In a lot of ways, it duplicates what I would do on the Mac if that's where I was doing it. But it's just 
for me, it's an overall more enjoyable experience in that I'm able to use two apps side by side. There's still not a ton of distraction there. You know, when I'm working on my Mac, which I have, like all of us do who work on an iPad, I think have specific workflows that are dedicated to the Mac. I have like seven or eight windows open. So there's a lot of distraction there. As on this, I'm able, on the iPad, I'm able to use IA Writer to take notes, drop links into it, bounce back before, back and forth between Mail or Safari or Tweetbot or whatever it is. You know, sometimes I'm I'm doing research on Twitter if someone's leaked something or whatever is going on there. So it's it just it's a streamlined process for me where I don't look over at Tweetbot or a random Slack channel with a group of my buddies and talk about cryptocurrency for an hour instead of doing work. You know, it's it just it's a it's a it's the streamlined approach that it, that I love. So for your gathering of information and research that's all done i writer you, have you ever tried like devin think or one of these info manager apps to gather that or why 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 everything there well because those notes end up becoming the article so at least in my okay how i how i do it so you'll take notes and kind of expand upon your brief jotting down of something in that okay exactly so even when i'm writing a review you know as i'm testing a device over a week or whatever it is um, all of those notes go into ia writer those notes end up getting turned into expanded thoughts you know i I clean it up i clarify it and that's what ends up becoming the final document i don't have a set of notes in one app and then the final product in the other app it just all kind of lives together and it's easier for me. I don't, again, I don't like bouncing back and forth between things, especially when I'm sitting down writing, you know, a 2000 word review. I want to stay where I'm at and just be able to concentrate and stay in that flow. Yeah. So I, a writer, it's been through a lot of changes over the years. What, what about it? Do you still love the simplicity? Like I've, I've tried, look, there's, there's some great writing apps. Drafts is one of them. And there's, it's, it's incredibly powerful and incredibly useful for a ton of use cases and, and workflows. But IA Writer is just a blank document when you open it up. And I know you could tailor how drafts look in, in other writing apps, Ulysses and, and all those. But for me, it's just, it's just dead simple. And it's just a blank screen with a cursor looking at me ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> is the only way I know how to explain it because it just, it just works for me. And I, over the last month or so, I've tried forcing myself to use other apps because there's, there's some, like I said, some great ones, but a lot more powerful Markdown editors um, as far as what you're doing with Markdown and the way it formats it and everything else. But a day or two later, I'm right back in AR. Maybe it's just habit at this point. I don't know. Maybe I'm just stubborn. Yeah. I talked about this on my last episode with Greg uh, that the first app you use often has an advantage. Like I use OmniFocus. I uh-huh. do love the app, but I'm not going to lie and say it's probably a little bit because it's my first one and that's my favorite because of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, when I review a Windows laptop, I install IA Writer on there. And there's 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 some really, really cool markdown editors now on Windows, which a few years ago, that wasn't the case. And so I don't know. It probably is habit yeah. overall. But the simplicity plus habit. How's the external monitor support for it? Does it uh, optimize for that external display or is it just a pure mirror? Yeah, it's pure mirror. There's, okay. there's no optimization there. So I was going to say, there, which, are, there are writing apps that do optimize. So that would be a reason to look into stuff, right? Yeah. Do you know of any offhand? I actually don't because I don't use an external monitor. I just know I have yeah, heard okay, people talk cool. about it. Yeah. But there are apps yeah. that do it. Yeah. I'll have to look into it. Like the only app I use that has external monitor support that I truly find useful and not a complete waste of 
trying to do something useful is yeah. screens. Uh, I use that to access, you know, my Mac sometimes. Turn your, turn your iPad into a Mac. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, uh, a windows PC in the house. If I need to, you know, mess with something there, it actually takes up the full screen. It looks exactly like a windows PC on the monitor. It, it, you know, it's, it's done really well, but anything else like photos or iMovie, I would rather it not have external display support with the way it's implemented. Now it just, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. Uh, LumaFusion is the other big one I can imagine being useful, having the viewfinder being on the external display, really giving you more space to work in. Yeah, sure. Uh, you need the right setup to be able to glance back and forth easily enough, but in the right setup that I could see being useful. 100%. Screens was an app I didn't really like until this trackpad support came because they never really implemented. There were for a period of time, these Bluetooth mice that Citrix sold that worked with the iPad and yeah. there was a jump, jump desktop that supported it. So that was the app I went to. And then I went back and then I went to screens because they finally got this trackpad support. And in every, every other way I preferred the screens app, but until they got that, it really didn't work for me. Yeah. And they had that, that goofy workaround where you could turn your iPhone into a trackpad. Yeah. <laughs> Which was, I mean, it worked, but yeah. it was clumsy and it just clunky. It wasn't good. But yeah, with the Magic Keyboard, it feels like my iPad's a, a Mac laptop, what I want it to be. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So do, do you leave a Mac kind of connected to the power ready to connect into at all times or what's your Mac uh, situation there? Yeah. So I had an iMac, a 2016, 2015 iMac that was, it had been dying on me for the last year and, and just ready to go out. So uh, when the M1, I was holding out for the Apple silicon max and so the m1's launched i reviewed the macbook pro and was sold on it it's it's a great laptop and so it actually sits docked on my desk uh connected to the same monitor as the ipad and it's just always on always ready to go um it never is undocked or anything like that uh, it just you know i treat it as a desktop i wanted some versatility and portability just in case yeah uh, which is why i switched from from a desktop to a laptop but uh, yeah it's just it's always here does your monitor switch between the inputs easily or do you have to unplug a cable to to sw- pick which one you want oh no it's just a couple buttons on the monitor and it switches between inputs no problem oh that's great yeah and uh, no heat problems with an m1 which is awesome as well yeah absolutely yeah no fa- i mean the fans are there actually i had to get my first macbook pro m1 macbook pro replaced like the power port totally stopped huh. accepting power like it just stopped charging yeah and so it would accept data. Like I could do everything, you know, transfer data. I was able to get a time machine backup out of it. And, um, yeah, it, it, so I had to get that replaced. It, it was an experience. So what tasks are you still not able to accomplish on the iPad easily or in a fun way? <laughs> That's changed a lot over the years. Uh, at one point it was photo editing, uh, <laughs> combining, combining screenshots, something as simple as combining screenshots was, uh, I constantly had to go back to the Mac for, but right now, yeah. Now we have shortcuts for that. Now, now, yeah. Sure. I mean, at one point, I used Workflow with Pythonista to combine screenshots that would then sync to iCloud, and then using Hazel on my Mac would get put <laughs> into a different folder that I could then access on my iPad. Like there was all these crazy workarounds. But now shortcuts. Piece of cake, easy peasy, love it. Um, so fast forward to now, and I would say like the main thing I use my Mac for is I do a weekly podcast and video series called Jason Squared on ZDNet. And because it's a podcast and video series and the way that all 
works out on the iPad isn't conducive to what we need. Uh, I use that for my Mac. I also have another podcast I've been recording that is done solely on my Mac as well. So it's really those kind of things where peripherals and accessories need to be multiple of them need to be connected. And even though there's docs, I get it, there's hubs, but uh, you know, you can't really record a video feed from an external camera uh, on the iPad right now, as far as I know. I, mean, I really wish HDMI input instead of output would be a thing yeah. on the iPad. That would be so great. Like I'd love to record like game capture and stuff on the iPad or even uh, importing VHS tapes onto the iPad. That'd be, that'd be great. I'd love it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I know I've been dreaming of hopefully what, you know, rumors are Apple's announcing a new iPad Pro next month. And I honestly, I want a couple ports on it. I want to be able to hook up more accessories and just, you know, driver support built in, whatever it takes (laughs) for it to happen. I would love to be able to record everything directly on my iPad instead of having to bounce back and forth. But yeah, so that's the biggest thing is just recording stuff. And I would say if I get in really long Slack conversations because of that, going offline online thing, I'll bounce back to my Mac just so the person knows I'm there and I'm invested in the conversation. I'm paying attention, you know? Yeah. And that's a personal thing for me. I, I, I get it a hundred percent. Some people probably don't even realize when I'm going online and offline every time I leave the app that, so that's one other area I would say I bounce back to it for. Okay. And you do your editing of the podcast in Ferry on the iPad. That's not, you just do the capture on Mac, right? Right. Just the capture, then upload it to iCloud and then uh, do all the editing in Ferrite. Yep. With Apple Pencil, which has been a huge learning curve. Like, you know, I ha- I've had this podcast and video series with ZDNet for, I think we're coming up on two years now, a year and mm-hmm. a half now, something like that. We're over a hundred episodes in. And I don't have to edit any of that. It's all done by, we have a producer who who takes care of all that for us. So when I decided to start my own podcast, it was a huge learning curve. And Fairwright has made it incredibly easy to do. Like I was pretty terrified of the editing process, but you know, it's, it's not at bad at all. And especially with Apple Pencil, it's real quick to make deletions and, and uh, it really flows. Yeah, it really does. And I love the flexibility of that app. I have a very custom keyboard set up to be able to do it all with one hand on my keyboard, one hand on the screen. And nice. uh, I'll also jump to the, just doing the pencil and I have a special double tap to kind of select all the following tracks to be able to move those yeah. around easily. And it's just, I love being able to just balance between like, Oh, I'm in bed. Let me just grab the iPad as a tablet. Oh, I'm at a table. Let me do it with the keyboard and just the flexibility is great. Yeah. And, and really Besides ferrite and photo editing, I don't use Apple Pencil at all. I just, it, it's not something that I've ever like folded into my workflow. I don't like taking notes on the iPad. There's something about paper and a pen um, and actually writing notes with like when I'm on a product briefing or a press briefing that, you know, I have a notebook sitting here that's full of notes from briefings that I actually have old notebooks that are, you know, just sitting there that have, that have been packed full of notes too, but I've, I've tried to force the iPad into my note taking flow and I, I just can't do it. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I would love a future option for an Apple pen where it's like a fountain pen that has a nib that flexes that I, I would love if Apple somehow created that because when I do handwritten notes, that's something that it's just, I, I'm a little bit, a little bit messier without a little bit more, I guess, friction. From yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah. And, it, and it makes more sense for me to do it on there because then I have my notes with me all the time. I can't tell you how many times I've left my my notebook somewhere. But I, like I said, I just there's something about the workflow there that I it just can't get to stick with me. This episode of iPad Pros is sponsored by Documents by Riedel, the app where all your files live. 
Files are something every iPad Pro needs to manage and work with. Documents is the app I recommend for people that have outgrown the Files app. It has also become a Swiss army knife with tons of incredible useful features, including a music player, video player, and VPN, amongst other features. The Documents app lets you access and manage your files however you want, all in one convenient place. It is perfect for reading EPUB books, viewing Word and Excel documents, opening zip files, PDFs, images, downloading MP3s, and watching movies on the iPad. Downloading files in the Documents app is still something I depend on when Safari is being stubborn and it just wants to let me view that file rather than download it. I mentioned before that Documents is more than just a file manager. It also provides a system-wide VPN that works across all web traffic on your iPad. This adds an extra layer of protection and is super fast. If you're a baseball fan and find it knowing that you can't watch your home team in the MLB at bat app, you can, with documents, change your virtual location and trick MLB at bat into thinking you're in a different state and lets you watch your actual home team. Novel, I know. Documents also has a custom-built music player that works with both local files and songs stored in the cloud. The app treats each folder as a unique playlist complete with shuffle and repeat. The interface is custom built for music and is the perfect solution for playing back music you downloaded from the web or want to manage outside of iTunes, something you can't easily do without a Mac still. These are just some of the many features that make documents great. It's also a champ at annotating PDFs, filling out PDF forms, watching videos, marking up and managing images, and so much more. Learn more at readle.com slash documents and download the app today for free to see for yourself why Documents is so useful. Once again, that's www.readle.com slash documents. My thanks to Documents by Readle for sponsoring this episode of iPad Pros. So you use iCloud to uh, transfer the files between Mac to iPad, or do you have some setup for that as SD cards just swapping files there? No, it's it's all iCloud. I, I okay. let, you know, I pay for the two gig or two terabyte yep. service or whatever it is, and and I just let that handle it. I don't I don't like dealing with a ton of hardware if I can avoid it. And it, iCloud's been reliable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been reliable enough for me that I don't need to worry about uh, losing files or anything like that. I always have a backup of extra files anyway, so just let iCloud handle it. So RSS is still a tool you use to gather news. So what's your approach to RSS? Uh, um, Reader 5 you use for this? What's kind of your strategy with this? Because I gave up on RSS a while ago. Yeah, Google Reader was the demise of RSS, really. But yeah, I I can't kick it. it. It's another one of those things. Um, if it's not on Twitter, it's on there. And so I have a Feedly, free Feedly account, and I had been using the Feedly app um, on iPhone and iPad. It's fine. It's great. It works. I, I liked the Mark Red on scroll. And I think eventually I switched from Reader 4, maybe it was Reader 3. I don't remember exactly when I switched away from it. Because of the Mark Red on scroll, I got tired of having to manually do that. And so then I realized Reader 5 launched here in the last, I think, month or so. Uh, and it has now Mark Red on scroll, so I switched back to it. And there's just the versatility and the fact that it's built specifically for Apple products instead of Feedly, which tries to be a product that looks and works the same across Android and iOS, which is fine. 
and there's nothing wrong with that, but the deep integration into uh, like widgets and stuff like that on iOS 14 with Reader 5, it, it's what I had used for years when Google had Google Reader. And then I went to uh, Feedbin when Google folded Reader and Feedbin worked until they raised their prices that were just like, I use RSS, but I'm not going to pay 30 bucks a year or whatever it is to right. use it. Uh, when there's very good free options out there like Feedly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'd always use Reader 5. So uh, I, it's kind of like a coming home, coming back to the to the app I had used long before. But to answer your question, it's a deep integration in iOS and iPadOS. Does that app make it easy to find the actual feeds? Because that's something that I've also found. It's harder and harder to find actual feeds than it used to be back in the heyday of RSS. Yeah, no, it still is hard to find feeds. It doesn't really help you find feeds. It'll obviously import them very easily and no no issues there. So I actually have a shortcut and I think you Ma- I think Matthew Casanelli I got it from his website uh that inspects the website for RSS feeds and gives you the link. Um if you can't find it. So you could go to any web page, you launch this shortcut and it'll tell you what the feed is for that page. And so if there's something I want to import, I use that shortcut, copy the link and then just add it into Reader. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's super helpful. So Reddit's another tool you use to gather information and you use the app versus Safari, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And I so the app is weird because it has these big giant white bars on either side and like a single column view of stuff, but um it's easier to navigate for me and get around than using the website, which is just like big chunks of text, which there's nothing wrong with using the website. I, I enjoy it uh, like on a Mac or whatever. But for me, I can get around the app a lot easier and save stuff, send it to another, you know, when you, you go into a poster or a subreddit, you can actually, you know, save it and set up shortcuts and whatever else uh to use it like that instead of just using the website, which I mean, you could share stuff in Safari, but uh, the app is a little bit more customizable in that way. And and Reddit has a bad habit of thinking your iPad's in a phone uh, on the, yeah, on the Safari. Yeah, <laughs> that too. Have you tried Apollo? I think that's a pretty popular third-party Reddit client. I have. It, it, it's great too. Uh, okay. But uh, just stick with the n- normal Reddit app. Yeah, I did. It was a couple years ago now. I I don't remember what it what spurred it? There was something in the news about Reddit, but I did a big roundup of iPad Reddit apps, and so I tried them all. Yeah, and, and um, they're all great. There's a lot of good options. I just went back to the normal Reddit app. Yeah, and then you're just a part of groups related to the fields you cover, and kind of see what's buzzing there to see if there's a story to write about. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of good tips sometimes posted in the iPad, iPad Pro, or even uh, iOS beta subreddits. Uh, there's a lot of good information shared around there. There's a lot of junk you got to sift through people posting pictures of hey i just got my airpods in which i'm happy for you yeah at the same time let's let's relax a little bit about that yeah but you know there's a lot of good information there so email is probably a big part of your day uh yeah you know you have slack you have email um what mail app do you use and what kind of tools do you need from a mail client to be um, productive on it. Yeah. So I use Apple's mail app, uh, across everything. It's something that, you know, I'll go to Gmail once in a while. I have a business Google suite or G suite, whatever they call it now. They've changed the name so many times. I don't remember what it's called now, but I have a paid account for that. And so I'll switch back and forth once in a while from Gmail or, uh, another third party app spark I've used, but I always end up going back to the mail app. I have VIP set up to work exactly how I want alerts to come in. You know, I, I only want to know 
emails from certain people and the ability now to set notifications for specific emails uh, that I don't have to mark someone as a VIP, a contact as a VIP. But as I'm composing an email, I could say, hey, notify me of replies to this or, uh, you know, as I'm replying to an email, same thing, you could turn on notifications for it. And so that for that aspect of it, the alerts and the way I have it tailored are perfect for me because I get so many pitches and you probably do too. So many emails and so many pitches of, of stuff. And it's just, it's an overflowing inbox of noise and the notification aspect of being able to cut down on what I really need to pay attention to is huge for me. And you know, it's years and years of tailoring that that makes it appealing to me. Now, I'll be clear though, I, I'm not a huge fan of the mail app on iPhone and iPad at all. In general, there's a lot of bugs, a lot of works into it. The fact that you can't write rich text HTML type emails um, is a huge one, which actually I have drafts installed. And I use drafts to compose my emails because of the quick email button that's that's in the app itself, especially if I want to do inline links and, you know, lists and everything else in in it. And the Mac has a much more advanced mail app. Are there any features from that app that you'd like to see ported over to iPad OS. I would love better search just in general. Like I, I hardly ever delete an email. And so if I need to reference something from a few years ago, I could look it up on the Mac almost instantly. Whereas on my iPad, and I tell it to keep for email forever, what, you know, whatever the setting is, but, um, search is hit or miss on iPad yeah. email app. And so I usually end up going to Gmail and searching on the web, which is frustrating. And there's sync issues as well with emails that I've archived or deleted just keep reappearing in my inbox on iPad and iPhone and they're gone. Like you go to on the Mac or go to gmail.com and they're gone. They're not there, but they just continuously show up <laughs> and, <laughs> It's it's been an issue since like iOS twelve. Yeah, and it just it just randomly comes and goes, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's frustrating. But uh, so yeah, what I would really love is a Safari like revamp for iPad OS for the Mail app. Desktop class, yeah, yep. Bring bring that whole experience with iOS iPad OS fifteen to to the iPad, and and I'll be really really happy. That'd be great. Yeah, the tip I got on the last episode with Greg was to use Preside for search because what the Preside app does, it's this really old app. It looks old and pays old, but it has this ability to download all of your emails locally onto your iPad. So if you have like 20 gigs of emails, it'll download those all locally and the search is great. Really? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to check that out. That's one one tip I did not know about. Yeah. That's something I learned about in the last episode and I was blown away. It's like this old crusty app has this really cool ability and no one else really does. So yeah, Yeah, it saved me some time for sure. And then uh, task management, how do you handle, you know, staying on top of the stories, making sure you get them done on time and managing all these projects? Yeah. So I use Fantastical too. Um, I have a subscription for it. I think it's a great app across all platforms that they support. It, It really is truly good. And so I use the calendar mostly to, if I know what stories are coming up that I have scheduled out, I'll put them on the calendar. But if there's something in the morning, um, I'll, I'll add them as reminders, either in Apple's reminders app, if, especially if I want to do nested reminders, you know, have one task with subtasks underneath it, or I'll add them in, in Fantastical. And so it's a, it's a combination of the two. Uh, it's a workflow that's, that's worked for me and in, in staying on track and, you know, being able to check boxes at the end of the day or cross something off the list has a kind of a reassuring feeling, you know, you actually did something for the day and yeah. <laughs> not just, not just stared at the internet. Right. Yeah. And for photo editing, um, Pixelmire yeah. photos, I believe what you use. And this is something that I got initially and 
it was like, oh, this is going to do some good, good photo editing. And then when they rolled out this machine learning thing, I was just blown away. It, it, it's it, stupid. It's crazy. So it has the ability to increase the resolution of photos. And I find myself using this a lot for I'm making some kind of graphic and it's an old image. And it yeah. just looks like crap. And I can, I can actually use these images now because it like fills in the gaps of resolution. Uh, it's yeah, it's yeah. mind-blowing. It is. I don't use that feature all that often. What I normally do is I'll go into the Photos app and I'll, I'll make some light adjustments. And if it looks good from there, I'm usually done. I'll use just Apple Stock Photos app. I'm, you know, There's not much that needs to be done there. But um, if it needs a little bit of work and touch up, there's some dust particles in it or fingerprints or, or there's scratches on the desk or whatever it is, that's when I move over to Pixelmator Photo and I use their machine learning touch-up tools. And it like... I had Pixelmator, you know, I used that for years as well, which was good. And it still is. I still bounce to that once in a while for very specific tasks. Yeah. The one tool I use in Pixelmator OG, the original, uh, still uh-huh. is this, it's got like this erasing mode where it like detects color and I'll use the Apple Pencil to like very detailed, like go out and erase thing. Yeah. I'm trying to yeah, remember it, what that is, but... I, I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember what the tool's called either. But so I'll, I'll bounce back and forth between the two once in a while. But the machine learning in photo, like Pixelmator photo, is so good at getting rid of dust particles. And, and you don't have to be precise. Like if it's on the edge of the device, right? You're taking a picture of a iPhone or whatever it is, and there's a dust particle on the beveled edge. In Pixelmator, you have to be pretty exact on what you want it to correct. In photo, <laughs> you just tap it, takes care of it. And it, it, I love it because it, it speeds up my edits so fast and it's so easy to use. Uh, and that's something I do, like I said earlier, I use Apple Pencil for. I do a lot of screenshots as well. And so what I do with those is if they have personal information in them, I used to use Sketch and I would always like blur out the personal information. So, But what I do now is I'll use the Photos app with the Apple Pencil to color match the area surrounding the text. And then I just draw over or color over whatever the personal information is. So it looks like the still standard UI, but with nothing there. It's just the same background color of whatever it is in the background, which is really handy because there's all these tools now that you can unblur personal information. You know, once in a while I have to take a screenshot of something that has my address if I'm writing about Google Maps or whatever it is. Um, And so I don't want people... (laughs) unblurring that information, you know? Um, So, and and there's been some instances too, where depending on the size of the photo, when it's rendered on the web, it actually unblurs the information. It's happened to me. Yeah. On CNET, it's happened to me a few times where a copy editor has emailed me and they're like, Hey, do you really want your information posted? Like, you know, I'm like, what are you talking about? I blurred it out and I go to this, to to the uh, article and at that resolution, it's unblurred, which is, Unreal. Yeah. So I was looking in Pixel Mirror as you're talking, and so the color thing's really great. But the thing that I also really love in that app is the repair touch up, where you're able to basically make things disappear. Yeah. And it like kind of mat- it matches like what the background should be if nothing was there at all. And that thing just feels like pure magic. And I, I kind of wish that tool, I wish more of the Pixel Mirror tools would find their way over into the photo because. The original app seems a little bit abandoned. They did an update not too long ago, but um, I don't yeah, know. It's pretty much abandoned yeah. at this point. I mean, they're going to do maybe some routine maintenance on it, but they're not going to add more features and whatnot. I agree with you. I, I wish there was more feature parity between the two, but having both of them, I'm able to get you know 
100% of my photo edits done. They're both great tools. Yeah. So how do you use the Shortcuts app on the iPad? Or do you? No, I do. I do. I've used it since since workflow workflow days. And so I was I was excited when Apple bought it because I knew it'd get deeper integration, which we've seen and not be constantly living on the edge of fear that it was going to get shut down because it did too much, you know, or an app update was going to be rejected. So I, I was pretty excited when Apple bought it and turned it into shortcuts. So like I mentioned earlier, a lot of the shortcuts I use have to re- or revolve around screenshots because that's a big part of any how to writing that I do is combining screenshots and and editing them. But I also use a lot of, a lot of shortcuts. Like I have a, my own personal website is on blot.im, which is a web host that allows you to host your website on Dropbox or in GitHub. So I use working copy. I chose GitHub because I don't use Dropbox. And so I use working copy to post to my own personal website, which if I find a tweet or if I find an article or anything like that, I can just send it straight to working copy through a shortcut. It turns it into a text or a markdown file for me, commits and pushes the changes to the GitHub repo that my site is linked to. And within a few seconds, I have a blog post or an article or you know, a tweet or whatever it is posted. So I use shortcuts a lot for that, uh, the photo editing, like I said. And then I use it for a lot of personal stuff. Uh, in I'm trying to get better at integrating shortcuts into like my everyday workflow. I know there's a lot of ways I can automate some of the stuff I do, um, but a lot of personal stuff like telling it, telling Siri, like I have the shortcut that it's dinner time. And so it'll turn off all my Apple TVs in the house so the kids know it's time to eat. It'll turn on music on a HomePod and then also put everything on Do Not Disturb. So I'm there and present for the mail or um, other shortcuts like, controlling raspberry pies stuff like that you know uh, i have one shortcut set up right now that connects to a raspberry pi in my house that is constantly every 30 minutes taking a speed test of my internet connection and logs it into a spreadsheet and so then i could ask siri what my internet speed is and it'll connect to my raspberry pi via uh, terminal on SSH and average the last 10 tests and give me that result. So a lot of weird stuff like that. But like I said, for writing wise, I, I, that is one area I truly, truly need to get more involved in and get more serious about. And I, I actually signed up from Matthew Casanelli's. He's, he's one of the, one of my favorite people in the shortcuts, you know, realm of iOS and everything, because he has a lot of knowledge. I, si- I signed up for his group and, and, follow a lot of stuff in Slack on there, which has been a great resource in teaching me, you know, next steps and to take uh, and how to optimize various aspects. Yeah, I'd imagine as you go through posting articles and stuff, there's probably the same process and shortcuts could help you step by step without you manually doing some of that stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of link fetching, right? Like, yeah. Especially if it's for App Store stuff that that I, I know I could I could streamline and make that a lot better. And I've looked into it and I found a few shortcuts and tried tinkering with those to customize them to how how I need them to, but I, I just can't quite get them there yet. And it's just, I just need to make the time to sit down and do it. But as far as like actually publishing stuff, a lot of it is in custom CMS, you know, content, content management systems that shortcuts just simply won't interact with you know, in Safari. So it, it's a lot of manual input once it gets to that point. But as far as the research portion of it goes, and gathering of information and links. I know there's ways for me to optimize that. But like I said, I just have to sit down and and dedicate some time to getting that streamlined. Yeah. So you got on my radar 
uh, through your new podcast, Work Beyond Mac. Uh, what inspired you to start this new interview show up? Yeah, so Work Beyond Mac is very similar to your show in that I, every other week, uh, sit down and interview people who work on their iPad and have moved beyond their Mac into getting work done. And I actually had a column um, at Macworld for a couple of years back in 2014 through 2016 called Work Beyond Mac, where I did the same thing, but I wrote about it in articles and actually taught people how to work on their iPad instead of the Mac. And so I've always wanted to start a podcast of my own. I knew it would probably be iPad related somehow, but a few months ago I had a call with someone about a potential story. His name is Ross Piper. He's a graphic designer and an artist. And so I did like a pre-interview with him just to, Hey, let me hear what you have. And, you know, kind of, kind of deal. After I hung up from that call, it was about, it was supposed to be a half an hour call and we talked for over an hour. I thought, you know, that, that conversation needs to be a podcast. And so that was kind of what sparked it finally for me to like take those steps and, and actually do it. And then it took a few months to to get to the point where it actually launched here in the last couple of weeks. But yeah, so it, it's, uh, like I said, it's similar to yours. We're trying to take a little bit different approach so we don't step on each other's toes with it. But I, I think it's a big enough community that there's room for that. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, the best part is this entire community is willing to help each other so much, which I absolutely love and adore about it. So have you learned um, any cool new workflow ideas from, I know the show's early on, so you haven't had a ton of guests so far, but any sure. any kind of gems pop out yet from your interviews? So it was funny you mentioned Devon Think earlier in the show, because the second episode, which is going to publish here on March 2nd, I think this will actually publish after that, if I remember right. But so I interviewed a college professor who deals with a lot of PDFs, like 10,000 PDFs at any given time. And so he uses Devon Think to go through those and, and mess around with them and search them. And so that was one area where I started looking into it afterwards and was like, wait, how can I inter- interact with this and introduce it to my workflow? Uh, but, you know, the first guest was actually Ross, who the the graphic designer, and his workflow is pretty crazy as, as far as what he does with designing. Uh, he designs beer labels. That's just something he randomly got yeah. into. But he, his primary thing is designing uh, graphics for bikes, and and so he does a lot of cool stuff with it. Um, I'm hoping to learn a lot more over over the coming weeks. I have a lot of guests lined up that are going to be really cool and should be really interesting to hear how they work because all of us do it differently. We we may work on an iPad, but nobody does it the same way, at least from conversations I've had. Oh, for sure. And then anything you want to cover that we didn't touch on before we wrap it up? No, I think we pretty much touched on everything, man. It's been a lot of fun talking with you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Likewise, where can people find your articles and your new podcast, Work Beyond Mac? Yeah, so my articles, I mainly post them on Twitter. I've been trying to get better at posting them into a a singular feed on my personal website, and that's jasoncipriani.com. But you can find my articles, like I said earlier, at CNET, ZDNet, uh, IGN, CNN underscored, and uh, PC World. And you can find me online at uh, Mr. Sippy. It's M-R-C-I-P-P-Y on Twitter. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me and get in touch with me. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jason, for your time. It's been great chatting and learning how you get your work done on iPad. Yeah, thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. Well, that was my interview with Jason. My thanks to Jason for his time recording this episode. And my thanks to Documents by Riedel for sponsoring this episode. Learn more at Riedel.com slash documents. Download it today for free in the App Store. And finally, my thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in to this episode. With that, I'll talk to everyone again real soon.